You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 266, Scott Disler and Creating Space to Listen. Guess how he learned to listen, friends. Hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I am so excited that you're here. You downloaded this episode and you know what? I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe in luck. I believe in providence. And so if you're listening to this, I know it's going to bless you and encourage you on that journey wherever you are. And if you hear it and someone that you know comes to mind, would you just take that as a prompting from the Holy Spirit and share it with them? Just say, you know what, maybe I need to do that and just send them a text or send them an email, uh, share it in their social media DMs, whatever works for you. Uh, I would really appreciate it. That's probably the best compliment you can give us. Uh, other than if, you, if you're interested and you want to help support the show, you can always go to uh, patreon.com slash halfway there or go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. Hit that Patreon button and support the show if that's something that makes sense for you. All right. Well, friends, thank you so much. And we're going to get in right into it. Our guest today, I'm excited. He is an author and he's a pastor at an evangelical free church. I grew up in the evangelical free church. So I love that. He's in Northern Michigan. Our guest is Scott Disler. Scott, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you, Eric. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to great to have you here. I didn't we didn't talk about that, but yeah, I totally grew up in the E Free Church. That's kind of I always thought it was weird though. It sounds like cholesterol free, right? Like yeah, you, even though you know, we, we just go by E free and people are always going, What's that mean? Does that mean we don't have to tithe at your church? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh I love it. Or who knows, you know, maybe we're against electronic devices. Yeah, who knows? Like, that came up too. <laughs> oh, so strange. Anyway, but it's an interesting uh uh, little denomination. I love it. So Scott, welcome to halfway there. And tell me like, so we, I gave you kind of those, there's those broad strokes, you've written a book and you're a pastor, but tell us a little more about kind of where you, who you are and where you are, what God has you right now. Yeah, right now I'm pastoring, of course, the E-Free Church up here in Gaylord, Michigan. We're way up in Northern Michigan where we get about 150 inches of snow a year. We also have a campus even more North than us in Sault Ste. Marie, right on the Canadian border. We also have a radio ministry, a television ministry. So God's really allowing us to, to reach all of Northern Michigan. And that's really what our church is all about, saturating Northern Michigan with the gospel. Yeah, I love that. That's fantastic. So um, let's dive into some of your story. And you, you wrote the, the book, and we're going to talk about it. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot that leads up to where you wrote the book, right? Because that's kind of how these things work. So, uh, by the way, the book, friends, if you want to just for reference, it's called The Cave, um, When Ministry Becomes Misery, which is which is kind of interesting. So let's go back into your story, Scott. Where So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Michigan or were you? No, I grew up in Akron, Ohio. So I'm still an okay. Ohio State Buckeye fan living in Michigan, which can get fun <laughs> sometimes. And then I went to college in Virginia, spent four years there, met my wife there, then I started in ministry as a youth pastor near Dayton, Ohio. Then I ended up near Elkhart, Indiana. And finally, I ended up in South Central Pennsylvania. And that's where things happened that resulted in my writing the book, The Cave, after I got here to Michigan. Gotcha. Okay. Well, so 
very interesting about uh, kind of where where you grew up and about the uh, old college rivalry. You know, I didn't. I went to a Christian college, so I didn't. I, I don't know anything about college sports. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, coincidentally, I went to Trinity in okay. uh, in Chicago, the Eastern School. So that's there you, uh, there you go. But so let me ask you: so you grew up in Ohio. What was that like for you? And was it a Christian family? What was the sort of spiritual climate you grew up in? Yeah, it was a Christian family. My grandpa was a pastor. My dad was not a pastor, but he was on every single boarding committee in the church. Not only that, he was the church custodian. So our family wasn't just at church every time the doors were open. We were there even when the doors were closed. (laughs) Uh, Spent my childhood in church. And I think that may have maybe turned off a lot of people. But for me, by that, I developed a love for the local church. Mm-hmm. And there's really, that's where God started my calling. And to this day, there's nothing else I want to do but to serve him through the local church. Yeah, we got to talk about that a little bit because I think it it is interesting. I, I hear this a lot with people who are like, well, yeah, I grew up in the church or I, I you know, was there. And you're right. Some people get kind of turned off or they get maybe inoculated to kind of what's happening there eventually, especially when they start to realize some some things are toxic. That's we can be honest about that. Right. Right. Um, but there's also something really reassuring. If you're a part of a community that is actually mo- a community, my wife laments the loss of her, the, of her community as a child, right? Like yeah. her church community was just so powerful. Um, and that's a really good thing. That's a really, it sounds like you had some of that experience. We did. My whole childhood was ra- I mean, it's centered around the church and, all the different activities in the church. And I can still remember all of them from the mission conferences to the Christmas Eve services, to the watch night services. And for me, it was always an exciting thing to be in the church. Yeah. Well, so how did your faith then become your own? Well, I, um, I ended up trusting Christ as my savior at the age of five at a good news club taught by my aunt. I went with her every Wednesday to this good news club, heard her tell the story many times of how Jesus died and rose again for our sins. But I remember that one particular Wednesday as a five-year-old kid, it dawned on me. I knew the story, but I had never put my faith in Jesus myself. And that's when I made that decision. Age eight, I followed the Lord in baptism and then just continued to develop in a love for the Lord and wanting to serve him. And it was my junior year of high school that God really confirmed in my heart my calling to be a pastor. And the the church we were going to at the time, the pastor there asked me to preach the Easter sunrise service. I'm not sure if he saw something in me or I was dating his daughter at the time, which had the most (laughs) reason for that. But I preached that morning. I saw people come to know Jesus. And from that moment on, there was nothing else I wanted to do. Uh, So I ended up going away to Bible college and then right into ministry. and, And that's been my life ever since. Okay, let's talk about that pastor, right? So, like, giving you the Easter sunrise, sir. First of all, he probably he didn't want to get up. Second of all, <laughs> that's that's a pretty incredible trust to put in a high schooler. You know, it, it really was, and I can go back and, and and I still to this day have deep respect for him because he did. He saw something in my life. He wanted to give me that opportunity. And I remember going in the next day to my high school band director uh, at the Christian school I went to and telling Mr. Bechtel, I'm sure God's called me to be a preacher. And he looked at me and said, Scott, if there's anything else you'd rather do, do it instead. 
And that was yes. his advice to me at the time. But that, God that's, confirmed, that's it. Yeah, that's common advice for pastors, right? Like if you can do anything else, absolutely, go do it. Because it's not an easy life, is it? No. In, in fact, it's really difficult. And, you know, I mean, obviously, um, you know, we just work on Sundays and that's it. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, but, you know, you're always under the microscope. You do live in that glass house. And um, it, it is tough. Sometimes you you struggle to have close friendships because you always wonder if there's an agenda to it. But I can tell you this, even though my greatest hurt in life has come from the local church, I still believe in the local church. Wow. This kind of confirmed your calling to ministry, kind of confirmed what we, we felt like God was leading you to do. So you went to Bible college. How did that, I know for me, that was a really formational experience, right? When I studied the scripture, how did that shape you? You know, it was for me too, because I knew what I wanted to do with my life. And I was so eager to go get all the training I could. I ended up at, well, it was Liberty Baptist College when I started there. They became Liberty University by the time I left. I like to take credit for that, but I really can't. But um, those four years of ministry were, were, or of education were amazing. Um, that's where God gave me some great mentors in my life, professors, supervisors that really poured into me. That's where I developed a real vision for ministry. And most of all, that's where I learned how to study the Bible. And, and that mm -hmm. became the key thing. Um, because that's really the substance of my ministry. It's teaching the Bible. Yeah. Give me an example of how you, of something that you studied in college that really changed kind of your understanding of God and how, how you interacted with him. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think there was really the, the one main thing actually wasn't in a class. It happened Often with my supervisor. His name was Harry Walls. I was a, an RA, a resident assistant of the football dorm there at the time. And um, Harry asked if he could disciple me. Now, I'd been in church all my life, but I had never been officially discipled. And so we began to meet. And Harry began by saying this. He said, here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to write down all of your prayer requests and bring that sheet back to me next week. So I thought, I'm really going to impress this guy. I'm going to have a long sheet, you know? And so I spent extra time in prayer that week. And I bring the sheet back to him and he takes it and he just keeps crossing things off like they were, you know, mistakes. And I said, Harry, what's wrong? He said, Scott, none of your requests are measurable. How do you know if God answers them? Hmm. He said, now this week, I want you to make sure all your prayer requests are specific and measurable. And I really think, Eric, that was one of the greatest lessons I learned in college, the need to pray specifically, the need to, to have measurable ones so you can see how God answers, because that's what builds your faith. Yeah. Do you have an example when that was uh, stands out to you where you go, oh, yeah, God totally answered that prayer? Yeah, there were, there were a couple of them. And, you know, one of them came when we were looking to, uh, I was youth pastoring at a church and we came time to leave to go to a, another church. And I remember um, Laura and I, my wife, deciding, you know, how are we going to know if this is really what God wants us to do? So we said this to God. We said, God, we're praying that we'll get a unanimous vote. And, uh, and, and that's what we're going to pray for. That's how we'll know. And I remember um, one of the, the um, leaders of the church there saying, Scott, this church hasn't had a unanimous vote in 20 years. Someone always votes no. Um, but sure enough, that night, I got a unanimous vote. And that just gave me that confidence that this was indeed God's will. 
So specific prayers have been a big part of my life. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I like that. Um, very good. So, of course, you can't always pray specifically, right? No, Sometimes there's like no. emotional needs. You just want Absolutely. to acknowledge that, friends. That, uh, but some, but don't underestimate the the value of asking the Lord for exactly what you want. One of the, one of my stories about this is when we bought a house. Um, I had prayed actually there are two on two occasions. I had prayed two different prayers. One, we were driving by this little patch of land that I just thought was cool, and I was like, I would love to live near here. And the other one was, I'd love to buy a house where there was lilacs in the back because I just love those, uh, right? Yeah. So those are very specific. Yeah. We bought our house in November, had no idea. Um, the next spring, I start going for walks around this trail near us, right through that patch of land, like right through it. And then um, and then there were when spring came, there were lilacs in the back, like there's it. multiple of them, right? And I was like, wow. So I can, I can relate to that. That's totally, God does That's answer awesome. those prayers. And sometimes when you have those specific things, especially if you just pray it and leave it to him, yep. you'll be surprised how often he answers. It's kind of amazing. Um, okay. I love that. So where did that, uh, then you, you get into, into being a youth pastor and, um, you know, you're kind of learning, I like to call it learning the way of Jesus, right? Like right. learning, learning yeah. his, his ways. Give me, give me some significant moments on that part of your journey. Yeah. When I was a youth pastor, I, I was very fortunate because I had a senior pastor who became like a mentor for me. And the thing about a mentor is he was willing to allow me to make mistakes. And I thought that was what I, I needed because you're going to make mistakes throughout, especially early in ministry. But he also did something else. He knew that my passion was preaching. And he gave me every Sunday night to preach, which most youth pastors don't get that opportunity, but he wanted to instill that. He also, the board also said, Scott, we realize you're not here forever because your calling is to be a senior pastor. We would like to pay for you to get your master's degree and invest into your ministry. That was amazing as well. Wow. But when I, when I think about those nine years I spent there, the things I think about the most are those two, three times a week, I would just bop into Pastor C's office, plop down, and we would just chew the fat about ministry for an hour, hour and a half. And I learned more in those just one-on-one -on -one chewing the fat about ministry than I ever learned in four years of formal training, not to diminish the need for that, but it was those just hands-on ministry exposure that did it. Yeah, which is really interesting because like you can learn, I'm, I'm really, so this is my experience and I don't, I won't project on you, but this is what I happened to me. I learned a lot of scripture in Bible college. I right. learned went to seminary, learned to pray really. Cause that's what I was after, uh, spiritual formation. Um, but they don't have time to give you all the relational stuff, right? Exactly. And you have to learn that with uh, other people actually in relationships, sort of like every other relationship in in your life. I love that. What's something that you learned from him that would be that would be interesting to to share with uh, with everybody? I think the thing that has stuck with me the most that I've learned from him, and, and my church hears me quote this all the time, he taught me, Scott, if you're going to err, err on the side of grace. And that would come up often as, you know, because ministry is at the heart, it's dealing with people. That's what it is. Um, in fact, I, I like what John Ortberg says. He says, leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can stand. And sometimes I feel like that's what we do as pastors. But he just taught us during those times, if you're going to err, err on the side of grace. 
And I have used that many, many times in, in my 34 years of ministry. And that was just one of those things he taught me. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I think that's, that's super powerful. And cause we all, we all kind of need that at certain points, right? We all need grace. We uh, we're all we going to mess up. And fortunately for us, God is faithful enough to give it to us. We have to do it for each other as well. Interesting. Okay. So you were, were serving here. Um, did you like, what were there other seasons? Like you were, you were able to preach. It sounds like as well. There, yeah. During, during my youth pastor time, I got every Sunday night. So along with doing the youth ministry, I also taught an adult Bible class on Sunday morning. And, uh, and then I also preached every Sunday night. So for me, it was kind of the best of both worlds. I could do youth ministry, learn hands-on ministry, but still get that training and experience in preaching, which was going to become the hub of my ministry. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I want to ask this question because it's one I've been wrestling with lately. How do you do, because it sounds like you were in youth ministry, you were learning, that's right. good. And I know that a lot of times we hire young and inexperienced people for our youth. Does that do justice to our youth's spiritual development? I think it can. I think it really can. I think, you know, it, it, it's one thing to have somebody who can relate to kids and have fun with kids and even grow a youth group. But if you're not giving them that spiritual formation, and I do think there needs to be to at least some degree that theological basis mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And without that, you mm -hmm. might grow a big youth group but I think you're going to send kids off to college, many of them secular colleges, and they're going to end up just falling because they really don't have that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Which is one of my concerns, right? That so, so many, you know, it's, it's okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to not know what you do. <laughs> and that's exactly right. And I, I've seen um, some youth pastors who I think that yeah. was true of them. They just didn't know what they were doing though they could really relate to the kids. Yeah. So my, so the, where I'm coming from with that, I know that you, you know, this is a thing that I'm about, but is the spiritual journey, right? Is like yeah. where, where on the journey, you know, I know that you only have to be so far ahead in order to help other people right. learn, but boy, I really want a youth pastor who's, um, who at least knows who they are a little bit yeah. right there. And they've, they're not, I think one of the problems, one of the reasons you get into pastors get into trouble is because, they don't already know themselves yeah, and that gets de-emphasized in a lot of traditions. Um, and that's, that's an issue for, uh, for me anyway, I could talk about that forever, but so back to your story, sure. um, I was just curious about how you felt about that. Um, so you, you were growing, I'm curious, have you ever had like a dark night of the soul or a time when God felt kind of far away or, or distant? You know, it's interesting because when I look back over my my ministry life, I really can't pinpoint a time like that. Um, it was one of those things that from the moment I started in, in ministry, when I graduated from high school or from college, all the way until I had what I call my cave experience in Pennsylvania, it was like everything I touched ended up being successful in ministry. Mm, yeah. And I think that's what made the cave issue so difficult because I had gone through all these years of man, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working. And suddenly I hit that buzzsaw and it literally took me to my knees. Yeah. Okay. So that's fascinating uh, because what did you attribute it to that you were successful? 
You know, I can only come back looking back now to one thing, Eric, and that's I, the sovereignty of God. I mean, I know pastors who are faithful and doing the right things, but they see very little fruit. For some reason, you know, God in his sovereignty allowed us to see for it. When in youth ministry, I was in a church of 400, but we would put on a youth event every year, have over a thousand teenagers come to it. Wow. Many of them come to Christ. And then, you know, the other ministries seem to go the same way. I can only chalk it up to the sovereignty of God. And I think the other thing is this. I think you have to, you have, to have a vision for what you believe God has called you to do. And you have to be able to communicate that vision in a way that the people respond to it. And yeah. that was one of the, the giftings I think God gave me is being able to share that vision in a way that the people can grasp it. And when the people grasp it and we all know the direction we're going, we tend to make progress. Yeah, I love that. Did you did you think that at the time? Did you call, call it God's sovereignty beforehand? Yeah, I'm not sure what I called it back then. I'll mm. be honest with you, um, Eric, and, and I talk about this in my book. After I had my cave experience and lost my ministry, as I was really evaluating that, there were a couple of things God convicted me of. And one of them was that I had become spiritually arrogant without realizing I had become arrogant. Mm. And I think one of the things that brought that arrogance is I had only had success. And so in my mind, if you weren't having success, you're doing something wrong. Well, that could be, uh, but it also could be the sovereignty of God. And so I really had to repent of that area and say, you know, the other thing that kind of went right along with it is God convicted me of the fact that my sense of significance was in the fact that I had a growing ministry. Right. And when that ministry was taken out from me, I, I, I had no significance at all. And I had to repent and say, Jesus, my source of significance must be you, no matter what's going on in my life. Okay, that's what I was getting at because I think uh, so many. This I think this is true, not just for you. I think a lot of pastors experience this. A lot of people in their careers experience this as well, right? We put, especially in America, this is the thing we do. We put our value in what we accomplish and what we're right. doing. I struggle with that just like everybody else. This is, you know, if my business isn't going well. I feel like I'm, I'm a terrible person, right? What's wrong with me, right? That's the question I ask. So, uh, and I think this happens in ministry too. Uh, so what I'm, it sounds like you're, you had kind of put your value in, in your ministry. Maybe you refer to it as your skills or, or like the gifting God's given you, right? Right, right. And then you run into this, what you call the cave experience. I think these, so I want to have you tell me that story in just a second. I think these kinds of experiences do exactly what you described. They take the identities that we've accepted, adopted, taken on from other people sometimes, and they just kind of blow them apart, right? And then God has to give us a whole new identity, which is actually the identity he's had for us the entire time. So take us into that experience with all of that said and tell right. us what, what happened. So I ended up uh, after pastoring youth pastor in Ohio. I then spent nine years as a pastor in Indiana. And then God led me to a church in South Central Pennsylvania. And I was there for six years. The first five years were just amazing ministry. We saw the church triple in size from 500 to 1,500. Things were just moving along. And then suddenly, my elder chairman, who for the first five years had been my biggest cheerleader, he turned against me. And Eric, to this day, I can't really pinpoint exactly why. Um, I can only guess, but, but he turned against me. 
and he was a very influential man in the church, the most influential layman in the church. Yeah. And, um, and I, I refer to it as a well-intentioned dragon. And I got that title from Martin Shelley's book by the same title. Mm. I think his intentions were good. He really felt he was saving the church, but didn't realize that his actions were destroying. And he ended up, you know, secret meetings with board members, key staff members. And uh, six months later, after six months of just agony, uh, the ministry came to an end. And I found myself in that six months retreating into what I call the cave, the place where ministry becomes misery. And I'm not the first one to find that cave, Eric. Elijah did. Yeah. After he had that great victory on Mount Carmel, calls down fire from God, the very next chapter, he's in a cave going, God, just kill me. And, um, and the steps that led me into that cave started with fear, then isolation. I pulled away from everyone, then self-pity, then hopelessness. And so here I am in this cave of misery. My ministry now comes to an end. And at that point, I have to make a decision. Am I just going to stay in the cave for the rest of my existence? Or am I going to take steps to come out of that cave and see what God has in store for me? So the whole book really is about the principles and lessons I learned to help get me out of that cave and discover there is still life on the other side of the cave. Yes. Okay. And so part of that life is you finding a new identity, I'm guessing. Without question. Right. Yes. Well, Without tell me about that. What, what was that like? Yeah, you know, I, I ended up coming across something that just stuck with me during that time frame. And I was looking at every time in the New Testament that Jesus passed out bread, feeding of the 4,000, feeding of the 5,000, Last Supper, he always used the exact same formula. The Bible says he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread. And he gave the bread. And I think, Eric, that's also how God works with people. That's how I saw him working in my life. He had taken me as a child and saved me. He had blessed me with ministry skills and ministry success. But then he chose to allow me to be broken. And the whole reason he broke me, I believe, was so that he could give me a fresh and a new. Because first, there were some things I needed to learn in that brokenness. So for me, as much as that brokenness hurt, it became a gift. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me what you learned. What were the what were the things that you came out of that going, this is who I am. It's not that. This is how I depend on the Lord. Whatever those things are. Yeah. The, the biggest thing I learned is that, number one, my source of significance has to be in Jesus. And so the number one thing that has to be the focal part of my life is developing my daily walk with Jesus. Uh, because no matter what happens in ministry, my daily walk with Jesus doesn't have to change. But then I also had to understand that ministry, though, though I'm not saying numbers aren't important. Sure, numbers are important. Mm -hmm. um, but numbers can't be the source of the metric to decide success. There's more to success than numbers. I can show you a lot of churches that are growing, but I wouldn't call them successful. <laughs> right? Right? I think we can talk about, okay, two things. And I think each of those those points we got to talk about. There may be more, but let's let's dive into those a little bit because I am I am really curious. You found that you had to maybe separate your ministry from your own walk. Exactly right. How so? It sound 
and I've, I've actually wondered this the whole time we've been talking because, uh, and I, I can relate to this having pursued ministry a little bit myself. It's very easy to integrate your own walk with the Lord with everything that you're doing because you're preaching. So you're studying a passage and that's exactly right. It's both academic, but it's also spiritual for you. And you're, you're, there's a whole spiritual rhythm to that. Interesting. So tell me about separating those two things and what was that hard? Was it, you know, was there a moment where you went, Oh, that's what it's like, or what, like, how'd that go down? I, I think there, it was kind of a, a, a process, but it started with me developing, and this was something I was really encouraged to do by a counselor I started to see when mm. I was going through this, and, and that was journaling, taking time mm. to write down. And I was never a person who did that, but I found um, how important that was for me to put on paper here's what I'm feeling, here's how I see God working, here's what God's doing. And to put it on paper made a difference for me. But the second thing, and you kind of mentioned it, was this. I needed to have a time that was just the Lord and me that was not connected to my ministry. And, um, and up until that time, I did kind of view, hey, listen, I'm in the Word all the time. Right. So yes, I'm spending time with God. I pray with people all the time. Yes, I'm spending time talking to God. So I started this pattern, um, and, and I, I've done it every day now since I've come here to Michigan. I walk 90 minutes a day. I take 90 minutes out of my schedule, and I take a 90-minute walk. I even do this in the wintertime when it's brutally cold. I go out, I take a walk, and for 90 minutes, I'm not answering the phone. I'm, I'm only talking to God about personal things. Or maybe putting on some worship music and worshiping him as I walk, or maybe listening to some sermons that are unrelated to what I'm preaching. Because here's what I discovered. As a preacher, you're always sharing the word, but you don't often listen to the word as somebody else shares it. Yes. So those have become lifelines for me in my spiritual growth. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's a really important point. Um, cause I, and I think a lot of content creators, you know, I serve podcasters, I have a whole group of Christian podcasters. And I think as a creator, I'm always worried about what am I creating next? Right. How am I, how am right. I doing that? And you really have to change your discipline to be able to listen as well. The spiritual life isn't much different as a pastor. You're a creator also. In right. fact, you're creating, I can't believe I think about it now the amount of things that we expect of pastors to create every, even if it, even if it's just one sermon a week, that's insane. Most professional speakers only have one or they have a handful of of talks that they give that they know inside and out. And they've given them hundreds of times. We ask you to come up with something new every single week. That's insane. That's just, that's an insane expectation. But um, having said that it, I can see how that breeds a certain, set of like, okay, I'm always trying to, to create and everything you're taking in is kind of for this thing. And you had, you got to make your own space for, for listening. So how, how does listening work for you now with, with the Lord? Well, what when, when I do, I, it's that 90 minute walk is the key. Yeah, Cause number one, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the church. I'm not going to be at church during that night. What I've discovered very quickly is I cannot have that time with the Lord at the church. Oh yeah. Uh, there's just too many distractions. In fact, I can't do it at home either. There's too many distractions. Mm. But when when I put those ear pods on, and sometimes I put them on even if I'm not listening to something, just to block out all the noise, 
I can focus for 90 full minutes. And Eric, that 90 minutes has become an oasis for me. It's the thing I look forward to the most every day. And sometimes I, I spend it talking to God, sometimes just being silent before him as I walk, sometimes worshiping, sometimes listening to sermons that are unrelated to my ministry. But it's amazing how when I do that 90 minute walk and I get back and I sit down at my desk, it's like the creative juices just start flowing uh, because there's a refreshment that happens there. Yeah, you're creating space to listen, right? You have to. to the Lord. Wow. And, and if you don't, I mean, if you don't schedule that space, it doesn't happen. So I have to schedule it. It's in my calendar. And, and that's what I do. So if somebody wants to meet during that time, I say I already have an appointment. Yeah, because it's part of your part of your your routine, your schedule. I love that. Okay, you kind of had to change your spiritual practices a little bit to separate those things from your your ministry. You do, and and Eric, that's that's the key. I mean, that's the biggest thing I learned in the cave is I have to make some changes. You know, what am I going to learn? Everything that happens to you can make you bitter or better, and I think that choice is yours. Yeah, but for it to make you better. That's going to, number one, you have to have the right mindset. But number two, you have to be willing to make changes in your life. And uh, and those became the two things that that really I focused on as I came out of the cave. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. All right, what did you learn about the Lord through all of that? Yeah, very good. I, I think one of the things that I, I learned about the Lord, and this was a real aha moment for me, and it came actually after I was out of the cave, back in ministry, and it was my first Easter since the whole incident happened at my former church. And I'm reading through and studying through the passion, getting ready for Easter week, and I get to the betrayal of Jesus. Now, I had read that, preached on it many times, but it never was something I really emphasized. But suddenly, it really hit me because... I had just experienced betrayal. Yeah. And for the first time, this is what hit me. Jesus understands what I'm feeling. He's experienced that. In fact, Eric, what Jesus, knowing he would be betrayed by that friend that night, what does he do in the upper room? He still washes his feet. Yeah. And so one of the things I learned about the Lord is he really does understand. He has experienced her. He knows what it's like to be mistreated, to be lied about, to have his character assassinated, to be betrayed. And uh, and I never really understood that in a practical way until I went through this experience. Now, the other thing I learned about is this, and that's the principle of God's presence. So part of my book, I talk about even the story of Joseph in the Old Testament look at all the things that happened. He's betrayed, thrown into a pit, Potiphar's house, falsely accused, prison, all those things. But there's a phrase that you see over and over in the story. And it says this, but God was with Joseph in the pit, but God was with Joseph at Potiphar's. God was with Joseph in the prison. And that was the other thing I learned is the presence of God is there. And so my wife and I did something during that time of great hurt that was so beneficial. Every night, We'd have a cup of coffee, we'd sit down, and we'd answer this question. How did we see the fingerprints of God today? Just those little ways that God showed us, I'm here, I'm in control, you can trust me. And we, we kept a journal of them. 
Sometimes they were just little things. Sometimes they were big palm prints. In fact, I'll never forget the night we're sitting on the back porch and we couldn't think of one. We absolutely couldn't think of one. And as we're talking about it, the doorbell rings. I go to the door and there's a pastor. I knew who he was, but he had never talked. And he said to me, Scott, I heard what happened to you. I know we've never talked, but God just prompted me to come over and pray with you. Would that be okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's the fingerprint. So we learned a lot about the presence of God and wow. what that means in your life. So th- those were two of the big things. Well, that's fantastic. So you were practicing gratitude, right? Just looking and seeing what, uh, you know, what looking for God. It's funny how sometimes when you're, when you're looking, like, or it's funny what you miss when you're not looking, right? But if you're right. looking, you can see where God is. Uh, what a what a great story! I love yeah. that one. Yeah, very good. Okay, so uh, what was something? I mean, maybe we already covered this, but you so you came out of that and you figured out, okay, you you know you're going to separate your ministry and and spiritual walk. Was there something that you learned about about yourself besides, like you said earlier, you were dependent on the Lord, but there's something about your skills or your kind of own identity that you just, that you, that you discovered yeah. through all that. Yeah. One of the things that I did learn and, and, and I did different when I came to my new church is I'm, I'm very much a, a driven person. I know what I want to accomplish and, and I go for it. And, um, and I'm the type of person that I really don't need a lot of people around me to accomplish it. Just let me go. I'll get it done. And one of the things I discovered was at my former church, because I was that way, I made a major mistake. And that mistake was I failed to take time to build relationships with my board. Mm. Uh, Yes, we were together at board meeting, um, but there was no relationship that was there. There was, and that's where trust comes from. Trust comes from relationships. So when I came here to E-Free, I started a, a, a whole different process of more communication with my board, more meeting with them, more spending time with them. In fact, my elder chairman here, I meet with every single week. We meet once a week together, not necessarily to talk ministry stuff, just to build that relationship because we're going to have to trust each other and you can't trust someone you don't have a relationship with. So I had to change how I worked with my board because I really do think that that was a major mistake I made at my former church. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you were more, um, you're being more aware of this sort of emotional intelligence piece, right? The exactly. relational piece of how it is. I find that so fascinating. I think what's, uh, you sound like you're in Enneagram three. I don't know if you're into Enneagram maybe, but I don't want to project, but uh, yeah, you're, you're a get it done person, right? Yeah, and I think exactly. ministry attracts people with that perspective, right? Cause you can right. get things done. You can do it. And it's effective, uh, but it can also break things sometimes. <laughs> and that's a that's a problem. Yeah, you you can get a lot done, but you've run over a lot of people doing it. And yeah. I have to really be careful about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is good. And you're so. How do you think differently about the pastoral role now? I, I think one of it is that I, I'm no longer just driven by um, the to do list. That, that's how I usually was. You know, mm-hmm. when I would get home from the office, my wife would say, how was your day? My answer was usually, it was great. I got everything done on my to-do list or it was awful. I only got half the things done on my to-do list. That's yeah. how I judged my day. And I, I've learned that I have to put time into my schedule, space, margin would be the right word 
to put margin into my schedule for those interruptions and for those relationships. And that's been a big thing I've learned. Again, the need for building relationships, not just getting things done. Um, at the end of the day, you can get a lot of things done, but if you don't have the relationship, mm. there could be a problem waiting for you. So that's been a big one for me, is just trying to look more into the lines of what, what, yeah, what yeah. does God want to do by interrupting my schedule today? Where before, I hated interruptions. So we've mentioned it several times. Uh, the, the book is The Cave, When Ministry Becomes Misery. Uh, what prompted you? Did you just write it because you wanted to, to just process what happened? Or like, what, what prompted you to decide to write this book? That, that's a good question. It mainly came from this. When, it's amazing how when you have an experience, somehow the story gets out about your experience and people start contacting you. And I was getting contacts from a lot of pastors who were going through what I had been through and they'd heard that I went through it. And so they needed someone to talk to. And we would talk through what I learned and lessons you can do, practical steps you can take. And that's when I said, I really need to put this in book form so that I can have something to give to pastors that can help them. And that's really, again, the book isn't the story of how I got hurt. That's a little segment. It's what are the steps that you can take if you're in the cave to get back out of the cave mm -hmm. and find joy in ministry again? So what prompted me is really 2 Corinthians 1. God comforts us in our trials so we can comfort those who go through the same trial. And I believe, Eric, that God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. And that was the reason I wrote the book, to hopefully for God to use it to come alongside of not just pastors, but anyone who has faced hurt and betrayal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's certainly common. I know a lot of people are struggling relationally right now. There's a lot going on, right? With the, whether it's the, the church and some people get, feel betrayed and some people feel very, you know, there's a lot of people are leaving the church for a lot of different reasons. And that's, yeah. that's certainly part of it. I love that. Well, okay. That's something we talk about a lot here and I will put, uh, put some other episodes in the show notes, friends, if you want to check those out, Scott, I thank you for sharing your story. I really do appreciate it. Uh, definitely friends pick up a copy of the cave. If that sounds interesting, sounds like something that would help you kind of through, through processing hurt and betrayal. Um, Scott, is there anything that you want to share with us to leave us with? Again, the, the biggest thing I want to say to people is this. If you're in the quote unquote cave right now because you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, I know it hurts. I know it's hard. I know it seems like you're going to be in the cave forever. But the one thing I learned is that there is life after the cave. And even brokenness in your life can be a gift and it can make you better. The key is you have to take steps. So I want to encourage you, take a step of faith and let God bring you out of the cave. I love that. You know, it occurs to me the, the one thing I love about that passage most with Elijah is how good God is to him, right? Like he doesn't say, hey, how dare you? He doesn't say, you're, you're a terrible person. You're a bad prophet for this. He says, take a nap, get some food. Yep. And, he, and Elijah's three questions, three issues, he answers each and every single one with a new assignment. And so Elijah has to go do it. God is really gracious. I think, friends, you'll find that as well. Uh, if you just do what Scott's saying, take that one little step 
and, and reach out. And that's, that's why, you know, I talk all the time about what to do when you're mad at God, because he will, he's actually extremely kind when you, when you do it. Scott, thanks so much for being here. Friends, you can get uh, the cave at, uh, you can get it on Amazon. If you just go to halfway there, podcast.com, there's actually an Amazon link there that I use uh, that helps send a little bit back our way. If you want an interest in supporting the show that way, you can do that, but uh, you find the show notes there. And Scott, I've got your link to your church website and uh, that other book by uh, Marcia Shelley that you mentioned earlier, all there. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. 